use, but to use the illustration means I have to wear a hat. Now, I don't want to be disrespectful at all, but I, I have to wear this throughout the sermon. And the secondly, I, I have to wear these. So, does that make me look smarter? No, it doesn't, does it? It doesn't, does it? So, yeah. Now, there's a reason. It's not till the end of the sermon, so you're going to spend the next 40 minutes looking at me like this. And I, I prayerfully it won't be too distracting from the truths that we're going to look at this morning within the Word of God. See, last week, and, Pastor, and Brother Nick, Pastor Nick, Brother Nick already made reference to this. Um, last week, Pastor Chinake shared a number of points uh, just through the experiences of the ministry from the Word of God about keeping in step with the Spirit and something that really stuck out to me, it really stuck out to me, which caused me to cry out with the psalmist. Uh, could I have the slideshow up, please? Which caused me to cry out with the psalmist in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Now, there may have been certain points that stuck out to you, but what struck me was the fact that the physical outward appearance of what we're like as people and the actions that we do and the way we conduct ourselves can often be indicative of where we are at spiritually. It might be our, our lateness to church. It might be our willingness to serve. It might be our effort to build genuine friendships in and out of church. But often our physical acts and conduct can be reflective of what we are like inwardly, of our spiritual state, of our spiritual condition. Now, there has to be this said. There has to be this said. That is only one of the evidences because conduct itself can't be an accurate portrayal of things because you get the likes of the Pharisees, you get the likes of many religious people who can do everything well and everything right and still have their hearts far from God. Hence, you must seek the wisdom and the knowledge and the, the word of God and allow the Spirit to guide you in all of these matters. And that is very, very important. Thus, in looking at the Scriptures this morning, after being challenged from Pastor Chenake in regards to this, my, my desire, and I think what God's desire is, to encourage you this morning within the Word, to encourage you in your actions and to encourage you in your conduct, as Paul writes to the Philippian church, which is just as applicable to us now, today. And we see this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And read that one more time. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. If you recall, a couple of weeks ago, Paul's encouragement of hope at the end of chapter 3, we looked at that in our current status, we are to look where our citizenship is, that the way the world is, we are to be looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and knowing my guaranteed future to look at Jesus' return. 
This then flows into chapter 4, verse 1, with this specific encouragement. Because of this hope we have in Jesus, because of the, the call to live in accordance with that hope, Paul's charge to the Philippian church and to us that we can draw from today is to what? Stand firm in the Lord. Today's encouragement is that we, as the children of God, will stand firm in the Lord. To stand firm in that hope. To stand firm in the reality of who Jesus Christ is. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and then we'll look at the Scriptures together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your spirit that gives us understanding of the truths found within its pages. I pray this morning you will open our eyes to see wonderful things in your law. Father, that you will draw us closer to yourself as we draw closer to you. You will continue to reveal the greatness and majesty of who you are. Guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for me, there are two questions that arise in this encouragement. What does stand firm mean? And what does standing firm in the Lord look like? What does stand firm mean? And what does standing firm in the Lord look like? So our first point, I've only got two points this morning. To stand. Paul makes reference to standing in all but two of his letters, Titus and Philemon. And what you'll notice in the uses of the sorry, and the usage of the word stand or standing or stands is that they are usually exhortations or encouragements that is an action or a verb connected with a specific description, the adjective. For example, to stand up in 1 Corinthians 15, 1. It's talking about standing up in the gospel, standing upon something solid, standing upon something firm. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses, verse 11, we have stand against the schemes of the devil, to stand against something, or to stand assuredly in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13, which talks about gaining an excellent standing via one's faithful service in the gospel. But the charge to the church in most of these references, the act is actually to stand firm. Of the 23 times that stand is mentioned, or to stand, standing, whatever it might be, standing firm is, six, is 14 of those. Standing firm is 14 of those, which I think is quite significant. Now, you have different types of standing, but the standing that's portrayed here in the Scriptures, to stand firm or to stand steadfast, is something unique and something specific. Now, you all know that I'm a sportsman and I enjoy sport. But in boxing, there has to be a specific stance you must take. In rugby union, while you're waiting for the ball to come to you, you are standing in readiness for the conflict that is about to take place. In table tennis, you are standing, and I could ask Jimmy to stand and demonstrate for me, but I won't, but I won't. But in table tennis, there's a specific stance that is taken. And all of those things portray what? Preparedness of readiness, of the conflict. You understand the context with, you, with which you find yourself and you prepare for it. You stand in a specific way that makes you ready. You look in the military. 
You have the army, you have the navy, and you have the air force. They're standing as well, whether it be standing, marching, whether it be standing in unison, whether it be standing in battle, what I find fascinating is that there's a certain uniformity that promotes unification in the way they stand. They're united in the same thing, and their uniform promotes such unity. Their marching in time promotes the fact that they are of one mind. The fact that they are marching in time in the same direction shows that they are of one mind and of one goal. So you have that standing there. Even in your career, if you have your career, whether it be in accounting, whether it be in, I don't know what Jimmy does, but whether it be sitting on the beach, thinking about the entrepreneurship you're about to take place, whether it be leading your business, whether it be in medicine, whether it be as an actuary, and I actually don't, so I'm really, I'm really sorry about this, I don't know what the lead kids do, Jimmy and Joanne, I, I really apologize for that, I, I know you do something, and you do well, but yeah, I apologize, that's terrible on my part. But what's fascinating is this, as a teacher, whatever it is, there is a readiness, there's a preparedness, but even in your career, there is, you're, you're ready. You're ready to tackle your job, you're ready to get involved and fulfill the purpose for which you're being paid for in that position. Does that make sense? So your stance is important. As I said, it represents an attitude of preparedness, of zeal, and of steely determination to tackle the challenge in front of you. Therefore, this willingness and attitude and effort to stand is actually quite significant. For example, we have in the Scriptures this idea of standing that communicates, say, the strength resolve and endurance to stand in the face of adversity. Romans 11:20, you stand fast through faith, so do not become proud but fear. 1 Corinthians 15:58, my brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you. The idea of standing one's place before God positionally through Jesus Christ. We see this in Romans 5, 2, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. As well as warnings for us to be on guard, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, let anyone who thinks he stands Take heed lest he fall. And Ephesians 6.11, so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. You see, to stand firm is to plant yourself, to be sure of your footing and ensure that you're prepared to withstand the storms that will come. Case in point, this here was taken from the Rugby World Cup in 2015 between Fiji and Australia. Now, the Fijian man has made a tackle, and his job now is to scrap and fight and take that ball away from the Australian player. If you look at the left, you have what the Australians call a clean-out. They're getting ready to come and take the Fijian player out of action. But what I notice is this. The position of that Fijian player is textbook perfect. 
He is in a position where he can what's called win the breakdown, which basically means to steal the ball. I'm giving you rugby terms here. So when you watch a rugby game, you understand, oh, he's won the breakdown. Okay, that's great. He's turned the ball over. But he is in the right position, okay, textbook position, and the right technique to actually retrieve the ball back for his own side. One of the best in the world at this is a guy by the name of David Pocock. This is taken from the game between the ACT Brumbies and the Wellington Hurricanes. And what he's actually done is that he actually wins the ball in this particular example. He wins the ball irrespective of how much he's being hit, irrespective of what's going on. And you know why? Because he has the technique, the condition, and the solid foundation to be able to achieve that. Now, if I take this example here and apply it spiritually to our lives... What do we do? What do we need to do to enable us to stand firm? Here's the first thing. Positioning myself in the right way. Can I have this side here? Can you please all say that on the count of three? One, two, three, go. Positioning myself in the right way. You can stand. Everybody can stand. Well, Emily can't. I wish she can stand, but yeah, okay. Anyway. For those listening, I apologize. That's my daughter. She's in a wheelchair. Okay. But my daughter, she can stand, and she's done really well. I mean, she's defied all the odds, and I praise God for the miracle work in her life to be able to, be able to walk with a walker and do what she's doing. And I say, and she can stand, but she can't, in the conflict, win a ball like this, can she? Uh, Jono. Jono's a great athlete. I've seen him jump, and I've seen him fall over. But if he was put in this situation, he'd get smashed. No offense, Jono, but he, he would. He knows how to stand, but he doesn't know how to stand in the right way. He doesn't know how to position himself in the right way. Spiritually, a lot of us know how to stand, but a lot of us don't know how to position ourselves in the right way. We don't know how to condition ourselves so that in the conflict, we are able to stand effectively for the kingdom of God. We haven't mastered something as simple as the word of God in our lives. We haven't mastered the self-discipline it needs for us to be obedient to the Word. We haven't mastered the whole idea of being within the presence of God. We haven't mastered the idea of being sensitive to His voice and responding to His voice when He prompts our heart. We haven't mastered those things. We have not positioned ourselves in the right way to hear from God, to receive from God, so that when we're in the battle, we can stand firm. And so when you look at the scriptures, you see things like this. These, these are the basics of the Christian faith. I, I class them as. These, these are the acts and the tools and what is made available to us through the, through the Spirit of God to condition us in the conflict, to enable us to position ourselves in the right way. We have the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm. Psalm 119. Verses 97 to 99. And, and you look, when you adhere to the word of God, the wisdom of God found within these pages, this is what the psalmist says. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. Your commandments are always with me. You make me wiser than my enemies. I have more insight than all my teachers, for I meditate on your statutes. That's conditioning. You ask, if you get a chance, talk to Ash 
and to ask about conditioning, physical conditioning, and you can see actual lessons that you can apply spiritually. You, you have prayer, Jesus, who tells his disciples that you should always pray and never cease. We have fellowship, uh, Hebrews 22 to 25. If you want to turn there, turn there. I'll read it out to you now. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 to 25 says, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with all, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And you have discipleship and evangelism, the great commission to go into the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe all the things that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know what these things are? These things are that which enable us to take the right position. It prepares us. It's the conditioning of our spiritual bodies so that we might be able to come out on top. This is the framework. As I said, the spiritual conditioning of our spiritual man that gets us into battle readiness. And you have to understand something here. I say battle readiness. You know why these gentlemen were ready when they went to battle? Because when they stepped on the field, they knew it was a time of conflict. They knew there was a battle going on, and they prepared themselves for it. When two people get into a ring, whether it be boxing, martial arts, mixed martial arts, whatever it might be, they know they are not going there to relax. They know they are going there for conflict. We are told that we are in a conflict for the souls of men, for our souls, for our affections. We need to position ourselves and prepare, so we might be prepared for the battle we face. So that's the first one. The first one, positioning myself in the right way. One more time, please. One, two, three, go. Wow, that was really bad. That was really bad. Okay. But the second principle we draw from this is this. Planting my feet solidly. Middle group, ready? Go. Planting my feet solidly. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, planting my feet solidly. Now, here's something interesting. It's important that what I plant my feet on... It's solid. It makes the whole difference. See, you can have the distinction. I was talking about it. You can stand like Emily. You can stand like Jono. You can stand even like myself. But what we stand on determines our failure or our success. What we stand on is vitally important in life. It's much like the story between and the man in, who built his house on the sand and the man who built his house on the rock in Matthew 7. So too does having your feet on the right foundation determine how you will stand and how effective you will be. So what are you standing on? What is the foundation in which you want to plant your feet? Because I mean, when, when I did play rugby, we have on the bottom of our boots sprigs. Now, those sprigs usually about sort of this long. You use them, helps with traction. If there's someone on the ground and you step on them because they're doing something legally, legally, you can do it legally, okay? If someone's, uh, I've, I've been stood on a few times, then I deserved it. But, 
But what happens is this. I played in one game where I had my boots, I was all set, and I remember on the side, I, my position was number seven. I was a breakaway, a loose forward. And I'm on the side of the scrum. Those who don't know, I, I won't bother explaining. But I had my feet in the ground, and I got pushed backwards, even though my feet weren't moving. My feet weren't moving. I just had no traction. I had nothing to dig into. And so I was defeated just because of sheer strength. So too in our spiritual lives. We can take a position and be about God's work, be about doing this, that, and the other. But if you are built upon any other foundation other than God and His Word, you are going to get pushed back. You are going to get discouraged. You are going to get frustrated. You're going to get upset. You'll find things so, so difficult. Why? Because your foundation might be in your own strength. Your foundation might be in your own wisdom. Your foundation might be in your own tactics. Remember what Pastor Chinaik said? He said, programs are great, but that's not to be the focus. That's not to be the focus. Programs are a blessing, but that's not what guarantees spiritual success. What's important is for each of us as individuals, and this is my prayer for this church, that each of us as individuals would be stepping out by faith and representing Jesus Christ to everybody in our own lives, in our own context, in our own jobs, and that we would stand firm. Because what happens when we stand firm solidly, if our, if our foundation is solid, if our foundation is within the Word of God and within the person of Jesus Christ, then we can cry out with the psalmist, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He causes me to stand on the heights. Or with Habakkuk, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. I saw a video of a YouTube of a mountain goat. And this mountain goat, they, they, they actually climbed up the face of a dam. The face of a dam. Their ledges were like really, really small because there was a, there was a, um, a, a, a grass, a weed that they really liked and would only grow out, the, out of the face of this dam. And so you looked at it and I thought, all right. And he just, he gunned it up there, ate away, then gunned it back down again. But there was nothing for him to grab onto. Well, there was obviously something but their feet were sure-footed. Their feet were steadfast. This is the feet that God gives us when He is our foundation. This is the feet that He gives us, enabling us to succeed, that we can tread where others fear to tread, and we can achieve what others cannot achieve because our foundation is solid, because our foundation is God. You see, once this framework is in place, when you have the technique when you are in the right position, when your feet are planted solidly, this leads to the third thing. Prepare to take the hits. This one, go. To take the That's what happens. You are prepared to take the hits. One of the amazing things about David Pocock here in this picture is that I have seen him being smashed by a number of different people while he's getting the ball and they cannot move him. The guy has legs like trees. They're monstrous. But he has the conditioning to be able to see himself through that, to support whatever it is that he's going through. Ephesians 6 speaks of the battle that we're in, that which we fight against, and that we're against rulers and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil, not actually flesh and blood. As I seek to obediently live according to God's word, 
then the hits are going to come. The attacks are going to, occur, going to occur. But this is what standing firm can be classed as because like a sportsman, like a soldier, even in one's career, if the basics are known and if the basics are mastered, if the purpose is clear and if the context is understood, then the response in any given situation will be one that aligns you with God's heart and with God's purpose and with God's goal. Do you know the context with which you find yourself in right now? Do you know the battle that is taking place for your affections, for your desires, for your heart? Do you know what they are? And if you do know what they are, are you ready to stand firm against them? Are you you ready to win the breakdown? I want to read something to you that Pastor John sent me. I love when Pastor John sends me stuff. It's really cool. So I want to read this to you. If you've heard this, please don't say anything. But this is, this is the battle for the affections that take place. Have a listen to this. If you know the answer, don't say nothing. Just listen and enjoy. A few years after I was born, my dad met a stranger who was new to our city. From the beginning, dad was fascinated with this enchanting newcomer and soon invited him to live with our family. The stranger was quickly accepted and was around from then on. As I grew up, I never questioned his place in my family. In my young mind, he had a special niche. My parents were complementary uh, complimentary instructors. Mum taught me good from evil. Dad taught me to obey. But the stranger, he was our storyteller. He would keep us spellbound for hours, uh, hours on end with adventures, with mysteries and comedies. If I wanted to know anything about politics, history, or science, he always knew the answers about the past, understood the present, and even seemed to predict the future. He took my family to the first premiership game. He made me laugh. He made me cry. The stranger never stopped talking, but Dad didn't seem to mind. Sometimes Mum would get up quietly while the rest of us were shushing each other to listen to what he had to say, and she would go to the kitchen for peace and quiet. I wonder now if she ever prayed for the stranger to leave. Dad ruled our household with certain moral convictions, but the stranger never felt obligated to honor them. Profanity, for example, was not allowed in our home, not from us, nor friends, nor our visitors. One long-time visitor, however, sorry, our long-time visitor, however, got away with four-letter words that burned my ears and made my dad squirm and my mother blush. My dad didn't permit liberal use of alcohol, but the stranger encouraged us to try it on a regular basis. He made cigarettes look cool, cigars manly, and pipes distinguished. He talked freely, much too freely, about sex. His comments were sometimes blatant, sometimes suggestive, and generally embarrassing. I now know that my early concepts about relationships were influenced strongly by the stranger. Time after time, he opposed the values of my parents, yet he was seldom rebuked, never asked to leave. More than 40 years have passed since the stranger moved in with our family. He has blended right in and is not nearly as fascinating as he was at first. Still, if you could walk into my parents' den, you could still see him sitting over in his corner, waiting for someone to listen to him talk and watch him draw his pictures. His name? We just call him TV. His wife, he has a wife now. We call her computer. Their first child is mobile phone. 
second child video games. By the way, they now have a wonderful grandchild, and she is a genius. She is fondly called WhatsApp, which is what I'm reading this on right now. <laughs> she is nearly more popular than her mum. Her older cousin is Facebook, and the new baby cousins are Snapchat and Instagram. This stranger and members of its family appear to have taken up permanent residence in our homes, and we seem powerless to check their excesses. This is the battle that's going on, even within our homes. Did I read that? Did I like it? No, but it's real. That's the reality. This is the conflict that we are in. This is the battle that is taking place. And you know what happens when that takes place? Our foundation, well, no, not our foundation. Our foundation remains sure and steadfast to all eternity. No, my feet upon that foundation slip. I lose the conditioning that I've gained after years of training, which then makes me susceptible to not only taking the hits, but being taken out of the game. Stand firm. Now, here's what's interesting. If you have stand, which is the verb, the action, the doing word, then you have firm, which is how you're to stand, the adjective, the description. What I like is the noun that follows it. It says you're to stand firm where? In the Lord. To stand firm in the Lord. This kicks off a primary fact in this truth that a person must first be in the Lord. There are numerous verses regarding this standing firm, but being standing firm in the Lord is actually a little bit different. Uh, for example, 1 Corinthians 58, stand firm in the faith, be courageous. 6.13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Uh, Colossians 4.12, that you may uh, stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. And 2 Thessalonians 2.15, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you. But here in this verse, as well as in others, there is a strong exhortation to stand firm in the Lord, to stand firm in the relationship you share with him, to stand firm in the values he promotes, to stand firm in the truth he proclaims, to stand firm in the relationship God established with you through Jesus Christ, to stand firm in the extent that he went to to make you his own, to stand firm within those promises that he's granted you and desires to bless you with, to stand firm in Christ. It's, it is the exact same teaching that Jesus gave us in uh, John chapter 15 when he said, remain in me. You know what that means? Stand firm in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. A beautiful old hymn, abide with me, fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. 
when other helpers fail, and uh, what's that? when other helpers <laughs> help of the helpless abide with me. It's a great old hymn, but to abide means to reside in, to make your home there. That's what that's what it is. That's why we are to stand firm in. If somebody came to kick you out of your house, you would remain there. You would stay there. You would fight so no one will take you out of your house. I played a game many years ago called King of the Ring. King of the Ring was just a big circle filled with like 15 to 20 guys. And then you stood in the middle and whoever was left standing at the end won. You had to push people out. I won most times. It was a lot of fun. But that's the thing. And then what happens? Because I was the biggest guy there, I had people gang up on me. And this is what happens spiritually. The enemy gangs up on you to take you out of your joy, to take you out of your peace, to take you out of your happiness, to take you out of your contentment. We are told to stand firm in the Lord because the ability first must be established that we are in Christ in John chapter 15, verse 2. And as a, as a Christian, as one, as a branch connected to the vine, then to live from Christ. The only way we can remain is as we draw power from God and God alone. That's what must come about. But what does such a life as this look like? What does living a life standing firm in the Lord look like? And so here's a thought I want you to process. I asked the question of some of the leaders to give me a description, one word of an attribute of our Lord. And I got given a, a number of them. So Standing firm in the Lord would mean this, to stand firm in meekness, because he is meek and lowly in heart, and I'll stand firm in meekness. To stand firm in forgiveness, because Christ forgave, God and Christ forgave us, Ephesians 4, 32. To stand firm in the uniqueness of relationship we share with our Savior because no one else outside of Christ knows who we know and can experience what, he, what we experience. Another word I was given was humility, that we must be strong in humility because Christ humbled himself unto death, even to death on a cross, that we will be strong in gentleness because our Savior is gentle and compassion, the sensitivity to see a need and meet that need in Jesus' name. The ability to stand firm in selflessness, to stand firm in acceptance, to stand firm in understanding. When you look at the qualities of Jesus Christ, that is what we must stand firm in because we are standing firm in Christ and Christ alone. And you know what happens? You know what happens when we stand firm in the Lord? The ability to see is clear. The motivation to live is driving us. The capacity to follow is achieved. The resolve to persevere is strengthened. The desire to know is deepened. And the enthusiasm to hope is ignited. You see, this is what happens when you stand firm in the Lord. That you rejoice in the Lord. Always irrespective of what it is that you are facing, that the gentleness is evident to all because the presence of God is near, that you will not be anxious in every situation, that you'll meet it in prayer and petition, thanksgiving, and you present your requests to God, that the peace of God truly does surpass the context that you're in. 
And then verse 8, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. This is what it means to stand on the Lord, to think on the right things, to rejoice over the right things, to, to glory in the right things, to make our boast within the Lord, because he is the one that enables us to stand. So what does it mean to stand firm in the Lord? It means to stand fast in the person of Jesus Christ and allow his qualities, his agenda, his purpose, his goal, his word, everything he is be the foundation upon which we stand, the motivation by which we do, and our destination for which we aim for. That's what it is. To literally... To literally, as Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, it says to lay aside every weight. Now here, this is considered a weight. Why? It's a weight because, yes, it is a good thing. Yes, it does protect my head. It is a very good thing in and of itself, but it is not needed. Why? Because I'm not outside. So that is useless. This, this cardigan, this can be considered a weight. Why? Because it's actually quite warm in here, and I've been sweating all morning. But it's actually quite warm in here. But this is a weight, and I can lay this aside knowing that it's un- is not needed. Why? Because it's very warm in here. I think it's just the love of the brethren that is warming my soul. But then it says to lay aside every sin. This is representative of sin. Why? One, I don't need glasses. There are no even lenses in here. I don't need glasses. I think it makes me look more intelligent, which it doesn't. It makes me look desperate. Okay? But this is classed as sin because I think cosmetically it changes my appearance to make me into something that I'm not. So I am told to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. Which means maybe for us we can lay aside those things, our own agendas, our own selfishness, our own manipulations, our own desires, our own goals. We lay those things aside. We, may, we might even have to lay aside our own ministries, our own ministry goals, because we've made those into the idol in which we follow. We may even lay those things aside. Maybe we need to lay aside the amount of time we watch TV, the amount of time we spend on our cell phones, the amount of time we spend looking on social media. Maybe we need to lay aside those things because, I mean, look, I listen to a a lot of podcasts, godly podcasts and secular podcasts. I like to listen to a lot of different things. Maybe I need to rein that in so it doesn't become a thing of excess. Maybe I need to lay those things aside, those things aside, so then I can spiritually condition myself through prayer, through the word, through fellowship, through evangelism, through dependence upon the Holy Spirit, through all those things. Maybe I can condition myself so I can position myself in the right way with a firm and solid foundation that I ought to be able to withstand the hits that life brings. Perhaps, perhaps that's what we should be doing that we'd be able to stand firm in the Lord, sure-footed and immovable. Why? Because standing firm in the Lord, the sovereign Lord, He is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is my encouragement to you. Let God take your places. Let God use you for his glory. 
and you'll be excited with the things you lay aside. Oh, the things that he'll give you in response to that is immeasurable. I'm going to close in a word of prayer. As I pray, can I ask the prayer team to come up and we'll just get straight into fellowshipping and praying for each other. If, 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 you don't, if you don't come up to the front and pray, that's fine. I would encourage you before you leave, find somebody to pray for, please. Just to pray for them. Sit down and just pray for them. It doesn't have to be long. But before you leave here, pray for somebody else before you leave. Okay? Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the example that he has set, and I pray that you will give us a vision of him. As we sing, Lord, fill my eyes, oh my God, with the vision of the cross. Fill my heart with love for Jesus, the Nazarene. Father, give us a a hunger for more of you, a deeper relationship with you. And as you bring us closer to yourself, Father, you will enable us to stand firm in the relationship we share with you, to stand firm in the call that you have placed upon our lives to stand firm upon the promises of your word that we might live victoriously in the life that you have given us in your son. So Father, I pray this morning that as we leave here, you will convict our hearts to stand firm in you and that we will protect that. We'll protect that with every fiber of our being so that our joy will not be taken, our happiness will not be dampened, that our vision will not be quelled. Father, we pray now for you to move in the hearts of all of us as your people. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So if the prayer team can come forward, I would really like